you are in for a treat. Today, yoga instructor Erin Gilmore, like some kind of phantom jaguar, will discuss her propensity to prowl the minds of her students. In addition, she will reveal her more subtle superpower to break, rebuild her life, and emerge whole. To this end, Erin details the forces that made her, struggles with family, her resilience against anorexia, bulimia, and drug and alcohol addiction, her grief over the death of a close relative. So listen, here she is. I'm Erin Gilmore. And why are you here? I'm here because I teach you yoga from time to time, and you invited me to come have a conversation with you, and I thought that sounded interesting. You don't teach me yoga, you torture me from time to time. That's what <laughs> do. you do. You do this I do. like. Uh, so I, I take Aaron's class at Yoga Flow, and um, sometimes I walk out of there, like, I'm not sure how much of it's sweat and how much of it's tears. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to provide people with a blanket of safety around them if they would like to cry, but don't feel comfortable doing it openly. You're sweating so much, no one can tell the difference. Blanket of safety, my ass. That's not a safe environment. <laughs> I am a safe haven. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I, I, you made us do a three-minute plank once. It was actually three minutes and 45 seconds. I lied to you. Why would you do such a thing? I don't know. I feel like it's such a mental game. And if you know, like that, it seems like a short period of time until you're actually in it. Mm -hmm. So if I tell you, oh, it's only a minute, but I'm really holding you for two minutes. Or, oh, it's only two minutes, but it's really... Almost four minutes. So you're a mind fuck, is what you're saying. I do play a few mind games just to see how people respond. And it's so interesting to watch the symphony of different reactions that's happening in <laughs> front of me all day, every day. That's one way to frame it. What's the symphony? Uh, well, I've always joked about how I want to make um, a coffee table book of people's facial expressions mm -hmm. when they're in a yoga class, but I don't know how to do it without them knowing that I'm taking these photos. They have to be, you know, incognito photos. Otherwise, people would calm their face. But it's like some people really show their anguish while they're doing these things. Mm -hmm. And like, and sometimes I'll ask them, like, how's that making you feel to hold your face in that way? Yeah. Maybe more anguished. Some people have this Zen Buddha calm face to them. I'm always intrigued by them. What kind of face do I have? You alternate through a plethora of different faces. <laughs> <laughs> you do. I, you don't hide what you're feeling. Sometimes you'll look at me like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. What the fuck is right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. A plethora of different faces. I should yeah. make that the title of my next, I don't know what. Um, yeah. So I dislike yoga intensely, but I respect it. There's a face in there for that. There's a face of my dislike, one of my yeah, plethoras. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like toward the three quarter mark, you're like, you're pretty over it. Yeah. Like, what does my face look like? Can you describe it's it? It's like, it's a mix of despair and like, <laughs> um, like really trying hard to figure out like, when will this end? <laughs> yeah, that's so Are we true. almost there? I feel like she's almost there. Are we almost there? So part of the reason y'all may be picking this up that I invited Erin in is because she is a Jedi Knight. She gets inside people's heads and it's astonishing. I don't know how to describe it. I, I remember the first, the second time I think I took Aaron's class, I was sitting there and she looks around the room and goes, so how's everybody doing? Nothing, no response, just, and she waves her hand in front of her face, dead faces? Okay, okay, let's start then. <laughs> and it was like she was calling out the entire marina. Yeah. Yoga flows in the marina. And Aaron will walk around the class saying, stop thinking about the person next to you and, mm. and don't worry about what that person wore or is wearing. It's like she's in your head. I've never met anyone who could do that quite the way she's doing it. And I consider that to be a superpower. So I'm really into superpowers. I think superpowers are basically, they're adaptive strategies for pain, essentially, mm. you know, trauma or, or shaping that we've undergone as a human in this life. One of my superpowers is to, you know, intellectualize and dissect things to death because that was the way I controlled my world that was out of control. Mm -hmm. And so for Erin, I don't know why she's able to step inside people's minds and just read them like a children's book, really, and tell them who they are. I know it came from something interesting and I want to find out what that is. So the other night she texted me before the interview. She says, I don't know what to talk about. And I said, well, um, what do you want to talk about? She says, uh, so people tell me I'm really good at this. I'm very vulnerable in class and I'm authentic. I'm good at sharing, they say. Yeah, good at sharing. And I honestly don't give a shit about... You said you think I should share less. Yeah, fuck that sharing shit. You know, I don't want to hear... I want to do yoga, and I don't want to hear someone's bullshit, especially if they're teaching me stuff. 
And I, one of the reasons I like Aaron's class is because she starts almost immediately. She doesn't sit there and do a bunch of, I mean, she says a thing, which is kind of cool. I, I like to talk, to have a conversation with you guys before we start. But once mm -hmm. we start the meditation, I like it to be more. Yeah. You, you just be in the, the torture begins almost immediately. There's a song or two of gentle stretching. <laughs> it's like it's like five seconds. <laughs> anyway, I think that the vulnerability, authenticity stuff is great, but it's overdone. I'm mm. tired of hearing it. It's hackneyed. It's boring. I don't care about it's it. It's definitely become the buzzword. Why is that? Brene Brown. Who cares what Brene Brown says? <sighs> yeah, I think the not aloneness that you find from when you hear somebody's story and you're like, oh, you know what? you're kind of fucked up too. And and it's okay that we're all a little broken. Some people don't like being called broken, but I don't, I mean, we, we break a little bit from time to time. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us, but I think the vulnerability thing helped people feel seen and heard. And then it can get a little egocentric about like, here's my story, here's my story, here's my story, here's my story. Oh, have you heard my story? So yeah, and I think these buzzwords start to lose meaning after a while. I've had lots and lots of people tell me, have you ever heard of Brene Brown? And I had, have you heard her talk about shame and, and shame can't survive sharing? And I'm like, I'm I, you eyes. know what? I've heard this. I have <laughs> heard this. <laughs> and I watched those two YouTube things that mm -hmm. she did. And mm -hmm. I thought they were okay, but I don't understand why they got so popular. Yeah, that's interesting. I want to think more about that. Why that hits such a nerve, whether it was timing or what the content of it was, but really hit a nerve in the collective. Um, well, good on her, but I'm tired of it. I don't care. And I'm way more interested in the Jedi Knight that is sitting on the couch here before me, who I have a healthy fear of. <laughs> I always find that so funny. Why? Um, because people tell me that I'm intimidating and I'm so intimidated by people. You are? Oh, yeah. There's. I'll find sometimes if there's someone in my class who I'm intimidated by, I feel myself avoiding that part of the room. And there's certain people in that come to my class that I find to be very safe and homey and like mm -hmm. i'll like circle them like a shark just to like absorb their accepting nature of me like i know they love me they come to my class all the time they tell me they love me and i'm like yes yes more of this not <laughs> that person over there who's what kind of person do you find intimidating um people who i feel are a little closed off like our hair looks perfect and our clothes looks perfect and our tesla and our house and all this stuff looks perfect and so everything must be kicking in everything must be perfect and so you know when people like when i am t having conversation at the beginning of class or i am mm -hmm. sharing something and i hear them cracking their knuckles or like doing a like a <sighs> really passive aggressive sigh and i'm like oh boo i speak fluent passive aggressive like i know exactly what you're saying with your come on get this shit rolling kind of thing or, or quite literally they'll roll their eyes at me um, really Oh, yeah. It's so interesting that I find those people a little unnerving. Sometimes uh -huh. I'm like, oh, I want to see if I can crack this nut and like go towards it. But there are a few of them that I'm like, oh, you're so closed off that you make me a little nervous. And sometimes I also do misread uh -huh. and somebody's just they're just trying hard. That's why they look like they're in the pit of despair. And after class, I'm like, this person, right. this person hated this. This person's going to probably follow me outside and kill me. <laughs> um, and then after class, they'll come up to me and be like, you said everything I needed to hear. Like, I was having such a bad day Aww. or such a bad week. And like, this, this really changed, turned things around for me. And I'm like, did not know this was going in for you. Like that's that's great. I totally misread. I don't say that out loud. I'm just right. like, oh great. I'm I'm glad that happened for you. Yeah, you never know. Like I've got a lot of teenage clients. Oh yeah. And they just sit there looking at you like, fuck you. Teenagers are terrifying. And the whole world. Totally. And then they come back like a year and a half later saying, Oh my God, it was so mm -hmm. helpful when you said such and such. And right. Such you and really such impacted me in a positive way. Like, yeah, yeah, I thought you yeah. were going to knife me at the end yeah. of the session. Or, uh, you know, I was going to be, you know, part of a school shooting somehow. Right. But yeah. no. 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 In <laughs> fact, there was a connection. Yeah. This is my own narcissism coming mm. out. What was your impression of me when I, when I joined? Um, I definitely pegged you as an overthinker. Like you're, you're up in your head, like analyzing, like overthinking to the degree that like when we do get to seven, three quarters of the way in, you're like, I am exhausted. This is exhausting. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot going on. Very fit. So I was like, okay, he takes care of himself. You're also, you're a big watcher of people. So I see you seeing people. That's true. I also did, I did misread you a little. I thought you were a bit 
now that I have talked to you, I thought you were a bit more, a bit quieter than you are mm-hmm. and more reserved perhaps yeah. than you actually are. You're a lot more blunt than I would have <laughs> pegged you for now having listened to episodes of your podcast, which I love listening. Thank you. You're so able to say your difference of opinion of somebody, which I, I always value in people. Yeah, I'm generally pretty reserved in that place. So quiet in that place. Quiet as a church mouse you are. Well, this it's all those, there's nothing but women. And I'm just concerned. That's I don't want to be that guy, you know, that gross, like, you know, that. Like, this is not a hit. I'm just saying you had a great yoga practice. I'm not trying to hit on you. Yeah. I just feel like it's this weird thing where I feel like, okay, I'm in this, all these women around me, they must think that I think that they're hot. And then there's this weird, like, feedback thing, like, too. Totally. And it's like, they're thinking that I'm thinking and I'm thinking that they're thinking and fuck this. I yeah, need to get yeah, the yeah, fuck yeah, out yeah, of yeah. Here. That overthinking thing kicks now. in for you. <laughs> Like, I'm just going to be quiet. I'm just going to be quiet. And also at the time that you go, it's mostly women. Yeah. Because my night classes are much more split. But the morning crew, Uh I love my marina moms. (laughs) And they love me. Yeah. Also, I I feel like in yoga classes, women feel kind of vulnerable because they're they're not dressed up and they're just kind of like, this is their safe place. Yeah. And I would feel like such shit if they went to their safe place and suddenly right. there was some dude who was, you know, oh, can I, that's like, lurking. Like, I, I mean, there's um, a few men that I've seen at the yoga flow that mm-hmm. just, a couple in particular that just talk to every woman there and it's just like, dude, just yeah. stop that. Yeah, give it a rest. Just stop it, man. Yeah. What do you think of this? I don't know if you've been in my class because I don't normally do it to the morning crew because it, I, I truly think that they find it excruciating. Uh-huh. But telling people to meet one person around them before class starts. You know, it's a little like church. They do that. Like they shake, do. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? They, in church, they say shake the not hand. Not in your... our Catholic church growing up in the Northeast. Well, Certainly not. Church, Certainly not. No, they do that. Like they'll say, you know, shake the hand of the person next to you and say, you know, hello and good we morning. We say peace. We don't say our names. Whatever. They do mm, it in church. I don't give a shit how you are. Just, mm, here's some peace. Here's but, my hand. Uh, in yoga class, no. I think that is crap because it's, it's just obligatory. If you really want really people to meet each other, you're going to have to do something more aggressive. You're going to say, you and you, have a conversation right now. Huh. <laughs> What's your name? My name yeah. is Michelle. What's your name? Bob. Bob, this is Michelle. I mean, that that's the level you'd have to go to, I well, think. Well, people have formulated real friendships for my class, which I find to be so interesting. I had a I had a sub the other day. One of my friends was coming in, and she said, a girl walked by her and said, sub, abort, abort, turn around, leave, leave, leave. They're very picky about who teaches them yoga. And these two girls didn't know each other, and they both turned around, went and got coffee with each other, and now they're friends. That's a good story and a mean story I know. all at once. Sub, <laughs> sub, turn around, abort. What the fuck is that shit? That's lame. It made me laugh so hard because it's just... I think we get so attached to the feelings that we have in ourselves or our own feelings when we're around somebody else. And my boyfriend said this to me before, do you see how people look at you after class? And I was like, yeah, half why I do this job. People confuse me with the feelings that they've created in themselves. And they look at me like they're in love with me, but they're really in love with themselves and they're in love with the connection that they've found in themselves. And they just kind of project it onto me. For sure. And if they hated it, they also project it onto me. Like I hated how that felt and she made me feel that way. And you're a safe object for that. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, There's a Jungian philosopher who talks about the golden shadow and when we project the lightest part of ourselves onto people. Mm. And that's why people fall in love Mm. is because they're actually projecting. It's like two people who are in love are actually two people holding up a mirror. Yeah. And they're not actually seeing each other. And that's why divorce is so high is because when that projection falls away, suddenly there's this human in front of you who's flawed and nobody likes that. People hate when people are dynamic and flawed and complex. Yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? (laughs) So much safer and easier if you were just gentle and one-dimensional. Yeah. So being a sub in yoga must be a a hard life. Super shitty. It's mostly just, you're just in the beginning um, of your teaching life. There was one person, she would sub for somebody. I don't want to say who, because I don't want the math Mm. to to be made, but Mm. she would apologize for not being that teacher. Yeah. And I want to tell her, no, don't 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 do that. Don't apologize. Yeah. Yeah. I've totally done that before. I never sub. Because A, I have too big of an ego and I like being adored too much. So in my time slots, people are coming to me. They expect me. They're not getting But you're surprised. a Jedi Knight and you can get in people's heads. And I mean, I can if I, if I really have the effort for it. But I had to sell last minute sub for my friend Neil the other day. But I was on my way to take his class. Mm-hmm. 
And I get in there and there's about 15 people and they look at me and I'm like, how are you this morning? And they say nothing. And I was like, disappointed, me too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ouch. Me too. You said that? Yeah. Wow. Well, I was disappointed too. I wanted to take class. I wanted Neil to be there. But yeah, I mean, I was very much kidding. Like, I know I can teach a perfectly fine yoga class to these people and we'll yeah. live through it. Anyway. I'm hoping that people can get a sense of how Erin is like gets inside people's heads and, and just how potent she is. How did you get like that? I think part of it is hereditary. My parents are that way, especially my father. He was a lawyer for 40 years and he can read people like no one I've ever met in my entire life. Uh -huh. And he is so anti-bullshit. And he will always say this to me as a child. You can bullshit me, kid, but don't bullshit yourself. <laughs> and... And I've always held on to that. Like he could always tell when I was lying. And whenever he would ask me a question, I already knew he knew the answer. And uh -huh. I was like, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this? He's always, he's been right about every person I've ever dated. Oh, really? He's been right about every single thing I've ever done. He's had the foresight to see it through to the end, um, whether it's a person or, or a job, except for yoga. He was wrong about yoga. Okay. He said yoga was a terrible idea. Why did he say that? When you see your daughter drop out of two colleges and then be like, you know what? I think I'm going to move somewhere I've never been before, 3,000 miles away with this loser boyfriend I have and become a yoga teacher. And he was like, oh, wow, this is <laughs> this is going to go terribly wrong. And also sort of like, do you hate money? Do you want to be poor for the rest of your life? Right. So I proved him wrong on all of those fronts. I Good. ditched the loser boyfriend and kept the career and do quite well for myself. That's excellent. Yeah. Uh, I talk to him every day and he tells me every day how proud he is. Oh, that's me. sweet. It's very sweet. He's a very sweet man. A woman without a father problem. I like it. Uh, I wouldn't say that, but we he <laughs> is. And maybe the problem is I hold him so high. Hold him so high. I hold him so high and he's tried to say to me, you know, I have flaws. Yeah. You need to take me off the pedestal. And I'm like, shh. <laughs> You look so good on that pedestal. You're so perfect. Is that why you like people to think you're perfect? Um, I think yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I want to appear like there's nothing wrong with me. And at the same time, I also want to tell people how fucked up I am. So it's like this constant like, oh, no, you know I'm fucked up. Oh, wait, I'm the one who told you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember a class a long time ago, you looked like you were in really bad psychological shape. You yeah, looked yeah, like you yeah. dropped about 30 pounds. And totally. You were just like, I was like, having a really, really hard time. Like, oh my God, she is not okay. I was not okay. Um, and I didn't know what to do. Yeah. It was none of my business. Yeah. But you were pretty open about it in class. Totally. Yeah. So you've recovered since then, I'm assuming you look. Yeah, I was really heartbroken at the time. And that was really fucking with me. Um, I had experienced a betrayal and it was just... It was so interesting to listen to your podcast about rage because I have rage problems. You do? I do. I have really, really bad temper okay. that I inherited from my dad, watching my dad fly off the handle to get his needs met. And also my trauma was being taken advantage of, um, was being molested by my cousin at age nine okay. and feeling weak and feeling like I, I get so angry when someone thinks they can take advantage of me. Mm -hmm. or thinks that I'm weak. Um, and I go like, let me show you, you fucked with the wrong one. And I, th and I think my parents would also tell me like, if somebody hits you, hit them back, but harder. How does that manifest when you get angry? What does it look like? I definitely grew up with yelling. My dad was a big yeller. And so I have worked on in the last year, taking yelling out of my life. Uh -huh. And if I hear myself yelling, I'm too angry to be talking to you and I need to go away. Right, because you're doing damage. To yeah. myself and to who I'm yelling at. Yeah. When I get mad, I yell. I just get, I talk so fast. And like, mm -hmm. it's just like all the alarms are going off inside. And then it feels really out of control and it feels really awful. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel powerful. And I know it's a protection thing, trying to protect this part of me that thinks it's going to get violated. But I definitely have taken it too far. I get almost the sense that when you're reading our minds that there's a certain heat coming from you. You've almost dissolved the walls that people put up between you and themselves is your mind reading kind of a defense mechanism to, to to protection is it yeah i have to know where you're coming from so i can know if i need to defend myself i can know if you're a safe place if right. you're whatever you are if we're all susceptible to judging each other and to right. to feeling insecure when we're being judged i don't do well when i feel like somebody's judgmental of me that's the person i avoid in class sometimes where i'm like uh 
I could do without you. When you look around the room, now I know that my when I say mind reading, I'm what I'm really saying is the ability to see more than anyone else. Mm. I think that human beings pick up a lot of signals. There's very, very subtle stuff, the way somebody moves an elbow, the way they wipe their brow, the way that they're standing on their mat, the way that, I mean, who knows what we're picking up. Totally. So I think that when someone becomes protective and fiery mm -hmm. like you, yeah. you become expert at picking up signals in a deep, deep way. So what I'm saying is what kind of stuff do you see? Like, what do you, what do you notice? Um, I notice everything from, do you bring props to support yourself? Do you use blocks? Do you not use props, even though you desperately need them because you can't touch the floor? Or right. do you, like some people obsessively, compulsively, like lay this towel on their mat and if it gets messed up a little bit, they'll stop whatever they're doing. No, fix, put the towel back. <laughs> that needs to be there. <laughs> um, I have noticed that when men fall out of a pose from uh -huh. time to time, uh -huh. they will take a, an anger lap around their mat and kind of like... An anger lap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've exactly seen that. what I'm saying. I've like seen it's, that. It's, yeah, 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 exactly what you're picturing. Like it's like they like, like do a little stomp around in a circle and like, all right, get back into it. Let's do this, Warrior Three. Do I do that? I've never seen you do and take a lap. No, I guess because I've, I've never seen you take a lap. I've seen you fall out of it. I've seen you do the look up at the sky and like wish to be swallowed whole kind of thing. <laughs> like I've, I've definitely like because it gets so hot in there and like you're you put yourself in a hot spot, which is something I also notice about people is I will tell them this side of the room, death inferno, right? Fires of hell, the right side. Exactly. Or the side by the mirrors. The mirrors. And then the side by the window is kind of common sense. Yeah. You can open these right. and air will come in. And then <laughs> maybe you'll feel less like you're going to black out <laughs> from heat exhaustion. That's awesome. So I've noticed that about people too, like people who come early enough to get their spot. And they're very, very particular about their spot, whether right. it's back in that corner by the windows, whether it's over in the hottest spot. Um, by the back mirrors. I have people have power struggles. So the hot side of the room is kind of known as a hot side of the room. Right. Uh, if you go there anytime, any regularly, and there's regulars who will go in certain spots for the heat. And then somebody who's new will open a window, God forbid, in the front corner. And then as soon as they go to down dog, that regular will run over to the window and shut it. And really? I, yeah. And I'm like, this person has opened it because they feel overheated. And this person feels not hot enough. So then that person will that close is, it. Like, what do you do in that situation? I wouldn't even know what to do. I would never fuck with a window like that. I, Put close it after somebody opened it, or you yeah, would never I, open it. I would never. I would never open it. I would never. I would never fuck with the environment. Why? I don't know. I don't. Feel I like, say I, though. I don't feel if you have a window near you, you're free to open it. I know, but I don't feel. I feel that class would look at me and say, "What are you doing, you man?" Would person, sing your praises. If you open the window, no. I, it was so funny. One of my friend's husband was in a really hot class the other day and, and I came over to them. I turned my mic off and I said, how are you guys doing? Do you want me to turn your heater off? And he's, he's dying. And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and every, on the three ladies next to him were like, this is great. We love it. He's like, what did they say? Did they say no? Did they say don't turn it off? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> like, oh, you wanted the, you wanted the women to crack, huh? And I think one of the things that men probably find difficult about that is I think women have a much higher pain threshold than men. Yeah, uh, a much higher. Th yeah, and, and yoga is. I won't say easier for them, but they. Um, it's easier for them. Have it's a, easier for them. A, a little bit more ease of flexibility. You, think? you know that eagle shit that y'all do. Oh yeah. I have to cross. I just can cross my arms. I like wrap my arms and what the fuck is that? It's like what's wrong? What is wrong with your body that you can do that with your arms? There's you're all fucked. <laughs> yeah, all of you. Yeah, I'm yeah, the only yeah. normal one. It's so interesting. What else do I see in that yoga room? Uh, there's the space hogs who like I have big classes and uh -huh. they sell out. So they're, you know, you have to be mat by mat. You have She's to be, popular, everyone. I'm, people love me. I they don't know if you can hear me clearly that people love me. But, you know, you can only have an inch or two between your mats. And I have some people who are like, mm -mm, not moving, not moving. And I'm uh -huh. like, don't pretend you don't see that person looking for a spot around you. Right. Holding their mat. Yeah. Looking hopefully like you'll move and you're not moving. So yeah, there's a lot going on in a yoga room. And I always say you can tell a lot by watching somebody practice yoga. You really mm -hmm. can. Yeah. What can you tell? How they take care of themselves, if they choose not to take care of themselves, how aggressive they are Give with me examples. themselves. Somebody's they're exhausted. They've right. had a long day. Uh -huh. They probably need something a little more like and I'm not just saying like 
more gentle. Like they need to be restored. They look exhausted. Like they didn't sleep or they work too hard or something. Right. And they're going level 10, extra push-ups. Like, yeah, like that's me. you're doing child's pose, I'm doing a handstand. And, and just like they're taking care of themselves, quote unquote, looks like punishing themselves yeah. almost. And you're like, okay, this is masochism yoga, but yeah. like whatever, like that's, if that's your brand. There's the free birds. They used to really piss me off because I plan my classes. Like, mm -hmm. it's not like I'm just like, oh, this is what we have in the cabinet. I guess I'll just throw this recipe together and feed you this. I'm like very planned mm -hmm. with what I'm delivering to you. And I spend a lot of time in it. And there would be some people who would just be front row center, like doing their whole own choreography and different really? thing and i'm like and it used to bother me because i'd be like oh do you think what i'm offering you is not good enough and if so why are you here um do they completely depart from your thing like 100 not so much now but in in my first few years of teaching yes i used to have some who would religiously come stay with me for a little bit and then just break free and start to do whatever that's so weird which now I actually encourage because I have the confidence to know that it's not about me and the wherewithal to know that it's not about me and it doesn't have to be about me and they're not flipping me off. They're just trying to take care of themselves and I respect that. I mean, I would prefer they not go like front row center because it confuses everybody I else. I think it's about something else. Maybe a little, little bit of a like, I know better than you. Yeah, something. Like because some of those free birds now fly with the rest of the flock. And I also want people to feel comfortable. That's something that's so important to me is that people feel safe. Like you said, mm -hmm. your yoga practice for a lot of these people is like they're coming into this safe space. Yeah. And I don't know your body. I don't know what injuries you have. I don't know what your history is. Sure. I don't know what you're coming out of. I don't know what your day was like. I don't know what you're bringing to me. So that's why I do encourage people, you know, you can listen to me, but you don't have to listen to me. But I think there is something different about the ones who are like front row center, like, oh, you guys are in... You guys are in chair pose. I'm going to do a handstand. There's almost that like show off quality that you can find in some spaces. I do a, quite a bit of writing. And mm. um, the, when you go to these readings, everyone, the whole idea of ego is sort of looked down upon. Mm -hmm. And so nobody can express it. Mm -hmm. And so people are quiet, but there's a sense of fierce competition that nobody can name because that's bad because we're not competing. That's why I like slam poetry because it's like, yeah, I'm better than you. Like, okay, I, respect, <laughs> I like that. But these fucking intellectuals get up there and I've got one reading on Sunday. I am not looking forward to it. I'm going to read something silly and they're just going to look at me like, it's going to be crickets and that's fine. But um, <laughs> yoga is like that. I feel like there should be a yoga Olympics. Like, let's just, just settle this once and for all and just fucking compete. And let's just like, who's the best here? You know, I was joking <laughs> with them the other day and because I've been going to a lot more workout classes myself. I realized that when I go to these workout classes, I immediately pick out the most fit person in the room. Right. And I'm like, it's just me and you, six pack. Like, I'm <laughs> like, I'm going to destroy you. And we compete the whole time. And That's I awesome. usually win, which is good. Um, <laughs> and like, they don't know. They have no know idea that I just schooled how, them. How do you know you're winning? Because you um, do more push-ups than them? Yeah, yeah, totally. They're like, you, they take a break. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go harder. Mm. Um, oh and God. so I realized this about myself. And I, at the beginning of class the other night, I said to people, you know, I've realized this. And I told them that. And I said, so I want you to look around the room right now. And I want you to find a nemesis. And whatever, <laughs> if, awesome. if they decide to take rest, you do something more intense. If they decide to lay down, you stand up. And <laughs> all looked at me like, you're fucking insane. And I was like, I'm kidding, you guys. That's that not is, how it works. That is how it works. This is That's an internal practice. Bullshit. That's what they're doing. That's what everybody's doing. This internal practice shit. Well, I think also naming it, too, is really fun to do at the beginning of class. Like, I know some of you guys compete. So halfway through class, I was like, how's your nemesis doing? Are you beating them? <laughs> And after class, after class, I asked one girl who comes a lot, and I was like, I was like, I know you picked somebody out. And she was like, Yeah, girl in front of me, I killed it. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't have to do that because the only the only way I beat anyone is with strength. But my flexibility yeah. is so terrible. I, I yeah. think I must look like a a brick when I do yoga. I'm so used to embarrassing myself in that class, like not being able to. I mean, I can do push-ups, but I can't. All that crouched stuff and <laughs> and like, okay, we're gonna do finger four, and now you're gonna put your hands in the ground. Like, are you? fucking kidding me yeah, i'm not yeah. doing that shit yeah if i did a handstand i would That's go over and land oh, on someone without a wall behind me yeah kill yeah. them people have said whenever they're in class with me they'll come up to me afterwards and be like you have such a beautiful yoga practice like you're so graceful and smooth i'm like if only you could see inside <laughs> <laughs> 
What would they see? If only you knew what was going on in there. Just a battle to not be such a judgy bitch because I'm constantly like a value. Like I have to close my eyes when I'm in the yoga room if I'm practicing because right. I don't want to, I will get distracted by people around me. And then also trying not to critique the person who's teaching. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, God, I wonder if people spend their time in my class just just ripping me to shreds the whole time because they can't stand to like look at their own stuff. Definitely. Totally. Do you judge your students? I do. I judge the ones who leave before Shavasana. And I used to be really bitchy about it, but I've uh-huh. worked on it because uh-huh. I'm a person who grows. Uh-huh. Um, but they, like people would just like run out like right before Shavasana. I'm like, the fuck is wrong with you? Like, yeah. why can't you just lay there with yourself? It honestly didn't occur to me that I used to be that person. Yeah. I started when I was at the Fashion Institute in college. I started at Yoga the People. They don't really have like a set Shavasana time, but as soon as that person rung the singing bowl, which meant we're done, I would jump up, roll up my mat, run outside, light up my post-yoga cigarette and just be like, oh, this is the life. Cigarette. My lungs are so open right now. Oh my God. Oh, I love cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> you love cigarettes? Love cigarettes. How, 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 it's how, my biggest- um, How often do you smoke cigarettes? Life vice. In the last year, they came back into my life when I was really, when you saw me not yeah. doing well. And my friends were like, you're being gross. And I was like, leave me alone. I'm in pain. I need I these. my cigarette. Leave me alone. Don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're a love hate. I obviously hate them because they're horrible for you. They smell disgusting. They're, you know. But they're, they're so relaxing. But they're still like, I don't know what it was about them that I just was like, oh, you're, the, you're my best friend. Like I'm going to say a thing here about judgment. Mm. So my old therapist, who I saw for a good 25 years, he said that you cannot separate judgment from perception. And the reason I bring that up is because I hear the word judgment thrown around so much. And I think we're confused between the idea of discernment and judgment. Because mm. if you look at something and say, if I look at some guy in a class and like he's being an asshole, he's being an asshole. And I perceive it to be such. And if he proves me wrong, I'll change my opinion. But dude, you're an asshole. Stop doing that, whatever it is you're doing, dickhead. But so... I think judgment for me is when we have a perception and we, we cling to it. And it, it's almost like we're projecting, we're putting a very, very strong value on it that's mm-hmm. based on our own shit. Mm-hmm. And we're not seeing it for what it is. And we're refusing to we become inflexible. Yes. But I kind of encourage people like, go ahead, judge, discern, figure it out, but be willing to change your position in a second. So The attachment is where you suffer. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. See, that's why you're so smart. No, it's a a common yoga phrase. Um, Attachment? Yeah. Well, this teacher that I love, I find it really creepy when people are like, my guru. But I really adore this teacher. She's been doing it for like 50 years. And Uh her name's Judith Lasseter. And she says, perception doesn't shape your life. It is your life. How you perceive this whole experience is how you're going to experience this life. And I really like that. And she says, it's not bad to have preferences. Where you suffer is is the attachment to the preference. If it has to be this way. Did you want to say more about your personal journey? I mean, you touched on a few pretty, intense things yeah i always do that i'm always the one who like drops i had a miscarriage a few months ago and i've just been dropping it into conversation with my yeah oh jesus with my um with my friends and they're like the fuck did you just say and i'm like oh i had a miscarriage in back in october i was pregnant for three months and they're like are you okay And i'm like oh yeah yeah i'm fine i'm fine i'm okay I, i wasn't fine but now i'm okay yeah jesus christ yeah, it was an intense, 2019 was like a huge punch in the face. Was it? It really was not my finest. Well, I mean, it was just, a, it was a year of hard lessons, uh-huh. really hard, painful lessons. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what there'll did, be those years. What did you learn? Honestly, I learned how much I love freedom. I didn't know that. Freedom? I mean, yeah, I've always wanted to be a mom, always wanted to be a mom. When I found out I was pregnant, I started crying, but like not in the way that you would think that you'd be crying. Like, oh, I'm so I wasn't trying to get pregnant. That's for sure. It was right. a surprise. Right. Um, surprise. Surprise. Your life is different now. I called my my childhood best friend and she's like, oh, congratulations. I was like, nope, we're not there. We're not there yet. <laughs> Where in the what the fuck have I done? Yeah. What have I done? I should have traveled more. And she was like, are you really saying these things right now? And I was like, yes, like I need to have lived more. And now it's going to be all about this other thing that I wasn't ready for, right. that I thought I was ready for. Like, I don't know if you had this as a child, but I thought by 28, I would be married. 
like my older oldest sister. Uh-huh. And by 30, I would have my first child. 32, second child. 34, probably my third child. Maybe. Who see? Who knows? We'll see. Um, and, you know, and I'm 34 now. I just turned 34. And I don't have any of those things. It's interesting. It's uncomfortable in some ways where I'm like, I'm so behind. I wish I had the kid, the marriage, the car, the house, the dog, the things. But yet I realized in that moment how much I love my freedom. And I can just do whatever I want. I'm very selfish in that way. And I didn't realize how selfish I am, um, which... So not so bad. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not something I have to feel bad about. It just, it is what it is. And I'm very sad that I didn't, I would have been excited. You know, I came out of that feeling of, holy shit, what have I done? And came into the feeling of like, this is cool. I like this. And then it, it went away and it was almost like, well, how much do you really want it? Like now I could obviously try again if I want to. But yeah, that was interesting experience this last year. And I mean, obviously I don't hide my emotions well. If I'm happy, everybody knows I'm happy. If I'm sad, everybody knows I'm a sad bitch. And uh, last spring, I was really, really sad. I was going through just a, a heartbreak and I got to class and one of the moms looked at me and I wasn't crying. And she's like, what's wrong with you? And I just looked at her and I said, I'm heartbroken. And then I just started crying. And, oh. and then I was like, all right, let's start class. And I just started class while while crying. And it was like, this is so inappropriate, but like, I don't know how else to do it. You know, and you're like, yoga teachers, I don't know if you know this, but they don't have sick days and they don't have personal days. And no. you can't just be like, you know, I'm going to take some PTO because I need to take care of me. Yeah. It's sort of like, no, you suck it up and do it or you don't get paid. Um, do you do privates? I don't really because I find them, you know, that that's another part of my like ego adoration need. It's not enough attention. But it's enough money, Erin. Um, the and that's the other thing. I'm so lucky right now. Yoga Flow, I have to say this, is the best deal in town and they pay me my corporate rate. They pay me awesome. ridiculous amounts of money per year to do what I do. Fantastic. They are one of the highest paying fitness studios in the city, if not the highest. No shit. And they charge the lowest prices. That owner is not getting rich off of what she's doing. She's a former yoga teacher. Wow. She lives down in Truckee with her three kids and her husband. What's her name? Her name's Kathleen Holmes. Kathleen Holmes, shout out to you. Yeah, she's a really great person and really worth supporting. So if you're going to Yoga Flow Studios, you know your teacher is being more than fairly compensated. Is that why all the teachers are so good? She does do a great job of attracting talent. And also she took me on when I was three years into my career. I still sucked like quite a bit. <laughs> um, and she gave me some 6 a.m. slots and was like, here, five people go to these anyways. And over the years, I built them up to 55 people. Anyway, I, I guess I'm still trying to get, I still don't feel like I've cracked the Aaron nut yet. Can you take us through your life a little bit? Sure. Um, well, I'm the youngest of six, but my two older brothers are my full siblings, and I grew up with them. Okay. Um, and my two older brothers are high-achieving human beings. Okay. One is a very successful lawyer in D.C., went to private school, went to NYU. The other one is uh, working at a big company in Manhattan, and he did Harvard and NYU. My mom will always say this. The boys knew how to read before they got to kindergarten, and every time I tried to teach you to read, you'd try to run away from home. Jesus. <laughs> I am dumb. You're right. <laughs> what an asshole thing to say. To well, I think she, she didn't realize how it was, was coming off to me. How could you like, not realize that, mom? I think she was just so, she thought it was so funny that I was so different than them. But I took it as I'm a moron. And so well, that's yeah, something that's that, I've, that sounds I've, like. I've carried with me for a long time. But they did notice that that reading was hard for me and that I wasn't performing the way my brothers were performing with such ease in uh-huh. school. And I would daydream all the time and I was so distractible and I just wanted to talk all the time. All my teachers talk so much in class, constantly can't pay attention. So they got me tested for, this was right around the time that ADHD was coming out and it was Ritalin at the time. So they got me tested and they said, oh, she's severe ADHD. Can't sit still, can't do this, can't do that. And so they gave me Ritalin, no change. And then a new wonder drug came around, Adderall. And man, did I love Adderall. I mean, because it's crystal meth. So I mean, yeah. wouldn't you love it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's yes, it's it is. a few compounds away from being crystal meth. 
Um, and so just giving a child speed, like, of course I was able to read more and and do my homework and yeah. do these things and How function a little bit better. I think I was about 15. And we also, like, we have alcoholism in our family quite a bit, uh, but I don't think they saw the signs of addiction that I was dis- displaying. That if I forgot to take my pill, I would have to leave school and go home. I had to have it. And I've always been a thin kid, but it, I wasn't hungry. Right. So I lost weight and then I got compliments and then I got obsessed. Yeah. So my eating disorder started around 16. I just loved the attention and I call it this imagined superiority of being skeletal. Yeah, I just, I have a very addictive personality and found drinking and found smoking cigarettes and just numbing agents to block out, block out what happened between me and my cousin. And I don't think, because my parents put me in therapy right away at nine after that happened and you know what? It's so weird how you perceive what happened in your past. Because I said to my mom, I talked to my mom about it sometimes. I said, you know, it's so weird that it really stuck in me like glue. Because I went to therapy and I talked about it right away. And she was like, no, you didn't. We put you in therapy and you wouldn't say a word. Huh. You sat there silently the whole time, every oh, time. Jesus. And I was like, no, no, I I talked through it. I had, I had emotional resources. I was a very emotionally intelligent child. Right. She was like, no, you were completely silent. So that was interesting to look back and be like, oh, you weren't a way that you thought you were. And, you know, things happen and they're very traumatizing. I'll remember the police at my house. I'll always remember my father's rage. We had to hold him back from trying to go find my cousin and kill him. Uh-huh. But I'm sort of some, you know, you pick yourself up yeah, and you're... You're okay, even if you're not okay. And that not okay needed soothing agents that were really, really destructive to me. I've got a mean self-sabotage streak in myself. I went to Providence College for a year and drank too much and my roommates called an ambulance two times. My parents said if the first time, you know, if you do this again, we're going to pull you out of school. And did it again. And they pulled me out of school and said, you know, you should leave the country. Like you should go. And I went to Costa Rica and did Outward Bound. It's basically adventure school for privileged bad kids. And you do three months of you hike across the country, you do skiing. And how old are you at this point? Or uh, surfing. I was 18 going on 19. Okay. So you were still struggling with anorexia at that point? Uh, The anorexia turned into bulimia when I was in uh, my senior year of high school, pretty severely. So my parents didn't know about it. My brother caught me one night and he said, you have 24 hours to tell mom and dad. And so I told them at dinner that night. That was the very end of senior year. I was so, so grossly skinny. And they said, okay, if you want us to pay for college, you need to go to McLean, which is a mental institution in Massachusetts. And the agreement, it wasn't even a really agreement, but I I thought I heard them say 30 days. I was like, all right, I'm going, going for 30 days, Mm -hmm. having my one flew over the cuckoo's nest experience. And then I'm out of here. I didn't try to get better. I didn't, I made some, some friends, had some laughs and also was really disturbed by what was called rehab like if you're trying to reintroduce me to the joys of eating Mm -hmm. and you're feeding me shit that's made in a microwave and nutritionally a vacuum of yeah you know like i don't expect it to be like michelin starred food but like maybe you you introduce us to gardening maybe like there's yoga maybe there's this there's that i was running five six seven eight miles a day when i went to this rehab and they took my sneakers right when i got there i wasn't allowed to move in any way i was on chair rest for the first few days which you're trying to conserve how much output you have i I basically felt like i was being fattened up for christmas dinner or something like that was some kind of you know like that's the proof that you're going to show my parents that i'm better is that i've gained this weight there was such a void of connection in that experience that really disappointed me. Sounds like a bad rehab. And it's weird because Clarman, the the eating disorder unit, is one of the highest ranked. It's really hard to get into. My dad had to call in favors to get me in right away. It's highly regarded, which is interesting. I don't know how they operate now. That was back in 2004. Yeah, 2004. For a very long time, the the reason I got into teaching yoga was because I wanted to do like an anti-rehab for teen girls oh. where we would have therapists. I wanted to have a garden, like help them learn how to cook, help them learn how to plan their schedule so that you're not, because we were micromanaged all day, every day. Right. And then after 30 days, I signed myself out and I'm just back out there in the world and there's so much choice and I don't know how to organize myself or take care of myself. So that was my main goal for a long time. And it's still in there somewhere, but I've moved so far away from the eating disorder world 
that I hadn't tapped back into it for a while. But after I had a miscarriage, I had gained about 12 pounds and that fucked with me quite a bit, which I was like, oh, huh, you're still in there. Yeah. Interesting. So it sounds like you had, you know, bulimia where you, you basically sounded like you were still taking Adderall. You were mm-hmm. um, alcoholic as well, would you say? Yeah. How often would you drink to the point of blacking out? Um, When I was in college? Yeah. Four or five nights a week. Wow. When I was at Providence College. How many drinks would that take? Um, We were such binge drinkers. It's hard to even know right. how much I was drinking because right. um, you would pregame and then you would go to right. this and you would go to that. So it's like... Because if you, you don't s- start drinking in the morning, you can't drink all day. Um, it's just... <laughs> It's so bananas to look around the room and know and not know that other people aren't having the same experience that I'm having. Like Glennon Doyle, I think, says, I don't drink like other people. They drink to take the edge off. I drink to disappear. Yeah. And that's what I was doing. I was drinking to to disappear. Okay. So at Clarman, though, at the eating disorder place, they took my Adderall away. Uh And that was like, how dare you? How dare you? Your best friend. That's my everything. Yeah. Yeah, that was really challenging. I had a just a, a shitty throwaway year at Providence College. I followed my high school boyfriend to Rhode Island, and that went well. That lasted, Always does. lasted about three months. And then I was like, great, I'm at a Catholic school that I hate, and these people are all Republicans. And what the fuck is, how did I get here? Like, what am yeah. I doing? So what happened? Did you, you left college, and did you? My parents work? pulled me, went to Costa Rica, came back, and then applied to go to fashion school in New York. Oh, cool. Yeah. And how was your eating stuff and your alcoholism at that point? It paused when I went to Costa Rica, which uh-huh. was really amazing. Um, just no surprise. Exp- <laughs> it's fucking Costa Rica, Like, man. they're living in paradise. And also, the people in Costa Rica are so connected. One of the families that we lived with didn't have a TV, 18 wow. kids. And they just played with each other all day after they got their work done. Like, right. they were playing cards, listening to music, playing tag, for Christ's sakes. Like, these, these were the most pure people on the whole planet. And I was like, this could be it. Life can be like this. Yeah. This is beautiful. And then you get back here and you're like, oh, wow. This is, <laughs> this is different. You know the rat story, right? The rats in the rat park? Mm-mm. So there's this classic, This I work in substance abuse. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's one of my specialties. Okay. That's why I'm drilling into this so much. But yeah. you put a rat in a cage and you give it a choice between water and cocaine and oh. it'll take the cocaine until it dies of thirst. But, but if you put a rat in a rat park with lots of other rats and fun toys and stuff like that, they will almost completely ignore the cocaine. Really? But as one astute patient of mine pointed out, he said, well, what if the other rats are assholes? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i i know i'd never heard that yeah that's incredible the importance of community i think gets really well i think our civilization in a lot of ways i mean god bless america but it kind of sucks and i i know why people are drinking and doing a bunch of drugs because it's like life here is just ba- upside down it's upside down I it's mean, very upside down why do you think there's so much cocaine in the marina totally because they hate themselves there's a lot of self-loathing it's palpable yeah Anyway, so you got back from Costa Rica and things were better. You went to fashion school. That's cool. Things were better for about a month and then I went back to bulimia. Oh, okay. And yeah. you're how old at this point? Real like face plan. 22? Um, no, I was only 20. Okay. I was 20 and I got into FIT and both my brothers were in Manhattan at that point. And uh-huh. I was so excited. My parents were so excited. You know, they can watch their little sister and right. went to FIT and immediately found a psychiatrist who was a drug dealer, like literal drug dealer. Like there was a line outside. You go in, you tell them what you want. The lamp had no shade. There was no file cabinets. There was just files everywhere. He looked like he was on a lot of downers. And I was just like, I found my doctor. <laughs> this guy's great. Right. I hope he's not still in business. That's crazy that people can do that with a medical license. And I got the highest dose that I could possibly get. I asked him to give me 30XR, which is the extended release. And then I told him, I need to work late because I'm a hard worker. So can I have a 10XR for the afternoon? Which for my size was a lot a ridiculous amount of speed okay. it was going 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 so i dropped back down to a very tiny weight so satisfied the bulimia stayed away for a little while but i could only keep it away for so long uh-huh. and then it would come back by then i was smoking weed again i hadn't smoked weed for a long time because i was afraid of the munchies but i was pretty much smoking weed and cigarettes and drinking coffee and taking adderall as my intake wow for my new york existence when did you start to get better one of my um dorm mates 
invited me to a yoga to people class in St. Mark's. And we went there and I believe that was when I was 21. And we were in the back of the class and yoga to the people is, you know, I, I asked people to breathe like H-A, H-M, flutter your lips. That's from yoga to the people. Okay. People like really take it full tilt in some of those classes and they're like, ah. And I'm just like sitting in the back of the class as 21 and I'm like, what? The fuck? What the fuck is happening in here? Yeah, like I hate that shit. Like you guys are so extra and and we we're giggling like we couldn't take it. But then we laid down for that little shavasana that I hate when people skip at the end and I genuinely felt one moment where I didn't want to crawl out of my own skin. Like I felt a calm, quiet moment in my head. I wasn't saying hateful things to myself. I was like, what was that? That was amazing. And so I came back the next day by myself and I just kept going by myself, kept going. And I started to skip class and go to yoga instead because it was like, no, oh, this is the thing. Maybe fashion isn't the thing. Maybe fashion is actually an unhealthy environment for me. Um, imagine that. <laughs> Maybe trying to contort myself to look like a clothes hanger is really unhealthy choice for my kind of condition. Yeah. So yoga started to call to me in a really big way, but things just fell apart in New York. My dad's younger sister had a terrible marriage her whole life. He was abusive. He was a drunk and she never left the country. She had a hard financial existence and uh -huh. she finally divorced him. And my dad was like, you know what? You should come to Puerto Rico with us for a couple of weeks. And we went to Puerto Rico for a couple of weeks. We get back the day before New Year's. I was really sick by that point. I stayed in in New Year's to binge and purge by myself with my pit bull and Ugh. just cry. And I saw my aunt calling and I didn't answer. And then I got a phone call from my brother the next morning and he said, you need to come over. And I thought they were having an intervention for me. I'm so self-absorbed. Yeah. And I didn't want to come over. Uh -huh. I said, no, sweetie, you have to come over. And I went over and they said, you know, Helen had a heart attack and died last night. And I just felt so shitty that I would choose my sickness mm -hmm. over being there for somebody. And she died alone. And they found her in the snow outside her house. She had fallen and, ugh. That really fucked with me. Yeah. Um, and I just, I kind of cracked. Yeah. And I told my mom, I need to come home, like, now. Yeah. I need to, I need you to come get me. Yeah. And we packed my stuff in trash bags, and I moved out of New York within, like, a day and a half. Wow. Um, and I left school, and I didn't graduate. And I just went into this weird mania. I, I thought everything was a sign. Like, I was in this really weird, really weird hud space. So they sent me to, or they didn't send me. They said, you know, you should go work for your half-brother on Martha's Vineyard. I went and I worked for him and then um, met this con artist guy. And I, I had flushed my Adderall. I decided I didn't want to be next. I didn't want to die. So I flushed my Adderall. I was living in a communal house, so I couldn't be bulimic. Mm -hmm. um, so I was just binge drinking okay. and got chubby for me and met this, this kind of attractive guy who loved me when I was fat. So he must really love me, right? you know, that kind of thinking. And I'm introducing my parents and they're like, this guy's a moron. Like none of his stories make any sense. He's a liar. Like right. he's, none of his stories are rooted in reality. You need to leave this person. And I was like, no, you know what? We're going to go and move to San Francisco together. Okay. And they're like, you've never even been to California. You are out of your fucking mind. So I moved here and clipped weed for his uncle Okay. and told my parents I was working on an organic fruit farm. Which you kind of were. <laughs> In a way, you know, it's and like, fruit, sort this of. is 2009. Weed is still very taboo. Yeah. And like my parents are not the kind of people, you, my parents are completely sober. They would not be fond of this news that I was smoking weed all day and clipping weed, but saved up enough money to do a teacher training with yoga to the people because they moved a studio out there a couple weeks after I moved here. And I was like, ooh, it's a sign. Yeah. Um, everything is about me. Did their teacher training and through that realized like, oh, this guy's an abusive piece of shit and I shouldn't get hit and I shouldn't get yelled at and I shouldn't like... And he was hitting you. Uh, yeah, he became violent very shortly after moving to San Francisco. But I chalked it up to, you know, it's just a slap. Like, that's that's okay. People People slap, you know. So yeah, that was not the thing for me. And I got my own place and stayed here and started to teach yoga. So that's the gist of how I got here. I started teaching in 2011. So you've been kind of healing ever since. Yeah, trying to. Do you still drink? Yeah, and that's something I've been struggling with over the last year. Okay, so drinking is your is your main vice at this point? Drinking is my main vice at this point, that when I feel too much, and it's usually just once a week, save it up for that one day. 
How much do you drink? Too much. I'll have like four or five cocktails, which is so much for what size person I am. Yeah, it's much. That's a lot for anyone. Yeah, it's a lot for anyone. You black out? Um, yeah, still. Can I say something edgy? Totally. If you want to level up, you're going to have to stop doing that. I know. And it's really scary to me. So here's the thing. I feel like when I take your classes, like you give a lot to people. Mm. And uh, you are like, you give it all. 100% of you. I don't know how much energy you get back from folks, mm. but I made it my mission many months ago to give back to you. Mm. That's part of the reason you're here because I wanted to express how grateful I am to you and also to, in a non-arrogant way, say, hey, I think I have something to offer you. Mm. And that wasn't easy to do because I don't didn't really know you and who the fuck are you and mm -hmm. what the fuck. So I'm telling you that you're a, an energetic force of nature and a very impressive human being. And if you want to take that to the next whatever the fuck it is, mm. you're going to have to cut substances out of your life. Yeah. Um, but I've been going to this woman who's been doing this for a long time okay. and she knows a bunch of different modalities and one of them it's kind of like talk therapy uh -huh. but i have my eyes closed and she's asking me to like talk to my subconscious and she's helped me get rid of or or stay away from smoking weed and um i've gone to her about smoking cigarettes and alcohol is the last one that i'm like it's such a hard one for me because it feels like fun it feels like you know i'm tired of feeling all these feelings i've been feeling all these feelings so intensely all week long Mm -hmm. I'd like to be done now. I would like to press the eject button. Yeah. And that's, I. my older brother is sober and I really admire mm -hmm. his steadfast commitment to doing AA. And I've tried AA before. I've tried OA before when I was in my bulimia. And I really did not like the system. See, the thing is, is that your superpower of being able to not only be vulnerable and and also read people and take it all in you take it all in yeah i take it all in and i'm done i'm that's that's when i'm like i'm done taking it all and in. and that's the price tag right for your abilities that you pay yeah and it's a steep price i do jujitsu to do the same thing yeah and it does a great job yeah i recommend that you find some outlet that is so intense it helps you detach it used to be yoga and then once i became my my profession there's work mind going on yeah. while I'm in a yoga class. That was hard for me because I kind of lost this space that was so relevatory and, and brought me all of these insights and connection with myself. So it's just in the last few months where I was trying to lose this weight from miscarriage because uh -huh. I have to, I'm on this app called Down Dog. I'm just the person in the video. It's not my classes. But the last time we filmed was when you saw me when I was really sickly looking. People were like, wow, you look so fit. Um, like that little voice in me that's still yeah. there, though it is more quiet, was like, you need to get back there because we're refilming. Yeah. Um, you need to look like that so that people aren't like, oh, she got a little fat. So I've been trying really hard to not starve myself and to go to workout classes. And I used to play sports all year round. And I forgot how much I love that. Like I've been finding some, like basically this one at Grit uh, Euphoria Studios up in Knob Hill. Yeah. Um, it's like jazzercise with weights. And oh, I've like cool. been like, <laughs> oh, I just love that. It's so fun. But yeah, the thing that you see about me is you're very good at reading people too. Obviously it's part of your job. So that's a very accurate assessment. And I wouldn't trade the ability that we have to see people, right. but I definitely just give it, give it, give it, give it, give it. And then I'm like, I'm too tired to give it to myself. And you know what's so sad? Recently, people have been like, oh, you seem happy, like surprised that I seem happy. And I'm like, oh, no. So, like, I feel like my brand is like sad girl. And I'm like really comfortable with being the sad girl and attracting other sad girls. And like, we're just this crew of sad girls. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to process that. I'm going to say that I think you bring a lot of expertise to whatever you put your focus on. And I think maybe it would benefit you if you put some faith in the fact that if you focused your psychic attention on something new, that it would give back and that mm. you would become, you would grow into it the way you grew into yoga. Because at the end of the day, you're just a super bright, super capable, high achieving human at the Thank end of you. the day. And I think whatever you do is going to go well. I just think that. Anyway, I'm a big fan and I really do feel very strongly that you have a lot of really amazing growth ahead of you. Like you're going to sprout in some 
last thing. I don't know what that's going to be, but I'm kind of curious. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm curious too. I would yeah. love for that thing, that thing to make itself known. What I tell my a lot of my patients, if you are dumping gasoline on a tree's roots every day, especially on the weekends, yeah, <laughs> it's not going to grow so good. But if you give the tree the light it needs, the air it needs, the earth, the water, and all that stuff, it's going to grow into its natural shape. One of the easiest, so the lowest hanging fruits of transformation is taking the toxins out of your life. Mm. Because then things just happen naturally. Of course, one of the hardest ones is probably people because it's hard to know who's toxic, you know? Yeah. The substances part is easy. Eating well is easy. The exercise part is easy. Sleep hygiene is easy. I mean, it's not easy, but it's an easy target. Right, right, right. You've got a lot of easy it's targets. It's actionable, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, that's just my little two cents. Yeah, but it is, it's challenging because San Francisco is a big drinking city. Like, it is. It's, a, it's a big old drinking Anthony city. Anthony Bourdain said it was the, the wettest city in the, in the world. Uh, watching my parents be sober and not go out and socialize it's scary to me to give up the fun and I don't want to be isolated and obviously you don't have to be and those are just mm. stories we tell ourselves have you ever experimented with sobriety yeah okay I think the most I ever took off was like three months or so and how did you feel I felt a little lonely because uh -huh. I was younger yeah I was in my earlier 20s yeah. and you know wasn't comfortable just going to a bar and having water <laughs> you know you don't okay. want to be the like why don't you try it now yeah see how it goes I find a lot of my patients enjoy life it takes a little while to adjust but they the colors are richer everything is a little bit better. It's not like a one uniform, like, oh my God, because alcohol takes everything and condenses all the joy into like, you know, six or seven hours or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. There's kind of a sustained sense of joy amongst mm. people in sobriety if they do it right. Mm. Every experience is just a little bit better. I've heard it's really painful too. Like there's no reprieve that you're used to. Of course, you have your jujitsu, you have your yoga, your surfing, or whatever it is to find. No, I'm going to disagree with that. Solace. You grow more, and so there's more of you, mm. and so there is a reprieve because you have more bandwidth. Mm. Um, you know that little thing I say at the end of my podcast about the plate. Yeah. You know, like get a bigger plate. Yeah. That means expand yourself, grow, and if you grow, the things won't hurt as much. You won't need the reprieve because there'll be more of you, and you just got to have faith that that's going to happen. I can't prove it to you right i guess an example would be like let's say you know you have been sober for a few weeks and you're teaching a yoga class you could have a much richer exchange with people in that class than you would normally and that would fill your tank rather than drain it mm. that kind of thing a little it's and it's all sorts of stuff that happens all the time all over the place yeah little things yeah like oh this pancake tastes good <laughs> you know having those extra hours of your life that you weren't sick and hungover to do something good for yourself and so you're actually making progress in those in that time and it just builds up mm -hmm. it's not very measurable alcohol is measurable five drinks i'm lit i'm having a great time yeah you know yeah five non-drinks that's no fun. That's stupid. Why would I do that? Yeah. Yeah. And there's still in the, in in my head, there's still the conversation, even though alcoholism is rampant on both sides of my family. That's yeah. like, but most of the time you are normal. Most of the time you can have one or two drinks. Most of the time you're like this. Most yeah. of the time you're like this. Yeah. Rather than like, oh, at least you're not like that. You know, you're not that bad. Well, you're a binge drinker. Yeah. You know, anyway, I don't mean to, I'm not, I mean to evangelize you, but. I'm just... No, no, I mean, it's, it, I'm open and it's interesting for me to talk about, you yeah. know, I think the changes that need to happen will be slowly happening yeah. in my life. And when you're ready to let go of something, you do. Yeah. Is there anything more you wanted to touch on? Um... Okay. I mean, I feel like we didn't really touch that much on like the reading of people, but maybe we did. Um, You can certainly add something if you'd like. I mean... No, I mean, I feel like, yeah, to a degree, we all have this power within us, this ability to see each other. Right. I think also this this conversation has been about your journey. I think that the story, your story was really what was the thing that okay. was pretty cool. Okay. How you kind of, I don't know, pulled yourself and, and how you're still kind of struggling a bit is, is also. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's like my point in sharing. I remember when I was first teaching in yoga to the people, those classes are huge, mm -hmm. like a hundred people in those classes. I was like 24 walking down Valencia, smoking a cigarette after class. And someone was like, yoga teacher. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> Like I wanted to like throw my cigarette at them and be like child's pose. And like part of me wanted to run away, but uh, but I just said, my name's Aaron and smiled at them and walked away and they laughed. It's just that idea of like putting people on pedestals is not healthy and thinking yeah. that people are not flawed is, is unhealthy and that we don't reach this certain point and we're like, well, complete. You know, it's just this constant, Pam Shonen says you fall apart and you come back together and you fall apart and you come back together. And it's just like this. I feel like I'm really good at the falling apart part 
and getting better yes. at the coming back together part. That's what this episode is about. That's what this has been about. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be the theme. Cool. Do you have any favorite quotes you want to share before we close? Have you ever heard of Father Gregory Boyle? He started Homeboy Industries in LA. He's been working with gang members yeah, and have. truly helping to rehabilitate people on uh -huh. just such a large scale and on such a in such a real way, uh, like actionable mm -hmm. ways, like getting their tattoos removed. And oh, he's such an incredible person. He's written two books and he said this about the poor. It says, here is what we seek, a compassion that can stand at, in awe of what people have to carry day to day, rather than in judgment at how they choose to carry it. We talked a little bit about judgment, but I do find that I'm, I'm so harsh with myself and so cutting uh -huh. with myself, that mirror kind of thing. And I find myself thinking those thoughts towards other people. And right. I've worked really hard to soften that. I think I've done a good job of softening it towards other people, right. but still working on softening it towards myself and having that self, having that empathy for myself that it's, and I say this in class all the time. Uh -huh. Like when you realize how you're feeling, tell yourself it's completely understandable for you to be feeling how you're feeling with what's been going on in your day, in your life. You know, you don't have to like how you're feeling. You could be understanding. You don't have to agree with it, but right. you can be understanding. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Well, that was a hell of an hour and a half. Good. <laughs> um, I got I got kind of quite lost in it. It was quite cool. It's like well, this is a fun I conversation. Always find that with conversations that we like start with this and then it just deteriorates into something else. I figured it would. Okay. <laughs> that always Good. happens. Good, good. And then it's nice to be really present for an interview. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Pertinent information stemming from this podcast will appear in the program notes. Should you have any questions or would like to be a guest on my show, you may contact me at benjaminrusick at gmail.com or go to my website at benjaminrusick.com. I encourage you to subscribe, share, and all the rest. Thanks again, and remember, whenever you find your plate is full, sometimes you need to push a few things off to the side and sometimes you just need a bigger plate. <laughs>